Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It's inside the clubhouse. He is Bruce Levine. You can find him on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. You can find me at Matt Spiegel 670. As we talk baseball, uh, Chicago angle and a bit of national always right here every Saturday morning. And we are talking NLCS Brewers Dodgers. A terrific game last night. A lot of surprises in that game. And to give us some expert analysis of it, our good friend Bill Schroeder who is one of the voices of the Milwaukee Brewers on radio and has been there in that organization for, Bill, like 100 years with the Brewers? Is that, is that <laughs> well, right, Well, 24 years. That's actually television. But, uh, you know, Bob Uecker is the radio yeah, right, of course. Uh, guy. And the, uh, he is Mr. Baseball. But, uh, yeah, what a run the Brewers are on. 12 straight wins and you know, caught your Cubs. You know, the Cubs uh, had a pretty comfortable league going into September. But uh, Brewers caught fire. And, uh it's been an amazing run. You just hope it continues here. Yeah, Bill, 12 in a row. Uh, that is pretty amazing. Uh, Matt, across the uh, desk from me here, predicted that they would never lose again, and uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they haven't. But, I mean, uh, the way that they've done it has been just as impressive to me, Bill, as yeah. the, the 12, because they played some just excellent, excellent baseball. And, uh, you know, forget You know, everybody talks about – just the the fact that it's a bullpen game and and council right. starts it from the third inning on, but it's it's much more than that. Yeah, I mean they are playing good. I mean I think that you know the acquisitions that they made at the trading deadline and bringing in guys like Mustakis and you know Curtis Granderson, um, you know, really have helped you know the culture of the clubhouse, a winning you know a winning culture over there. I mean these guys, you know. Lorenzo Kane and Mustakis, you know, Ryan Braun has been through the postseason. And you've got guys in that clubhouse that have been in the World Series, and they've, they've been in the big moments, and that's been a big help. So they're playing good defense. You know, they're getting just enough hitting. And you can't expect to score 10, 10 runs a game in a postseason. I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, you're facing really good pitching. The Brewers were able to get to Kershaw yesterday and, uh, you know, score score some runs. Defense kind of fell apart for L.A. in that, uh, that, one, that one inning, but – um, it's been fun to watch, and as you talk about the pitching, I mean, it's kind of a contrast in styles when you talk Dodgers versus Brewers. I mean, the Dodgers rely heavily on their starting rotation, although they do have a good bullpen. The Brewers rely heavily on their bullpen, so it's kind of a clash of different philosophies, and uh, you know, the Brewers were able to come on top yesterday. It's really interesting, Bill, to see uh, where the Brewers have taken the bullpenning uh, to the point now that Gio Gonzalez goes two innings yesterday. Josh Hader throws 46 pitches yesterday. He, yeah, will, yeah. he will get today off and won't be available till game three. I saw Dave Roberts say it was good to get a look at all those guys. In a long series, it, it, yeah. what, what do you think about that? It's really interesting. I, I mean, counsel for what he's got, I thought, did a really good job of getting the win and locking it down yesterday. But yeah. Roberts yeah. thinks he saw everybody, and that'll help yeah. the hitters by the end of the series. Well, that's true. I mean, the more you see a, 
a pitcher, I mean, I guess as, you, as a hitter, you're going to feel a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, the Dodgers have seen the Brewer pitching staff before. I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, they, the Brewers had seven games against L.A. And, um, you know, it's a good point. And, you know, you could say the same, you know, for the Brewers. When The more you see their bullpen and the more you see their starting rotation, hitters get a little bit better idea of what's coming at them. You can do all the video you want and uh, get a sense for what they're throwing. But until you step in the batter's box and get a sense for what pitches are doing as they get to the hitting zone, you know, it's it's all kind of new. But there's no there's no real, you know, mystery between these two teams, although they don't play as much. It's not like the, it's not like the Cubs and Brewers where they play 20 times this year, where there's really no mystery with Quintana. You know they're go- what he's going to do, you know, Hendricks, that type of thing. But uh, Dave Roberts has a point. I mean, the Brewers are going to roll out those relievers you know, throughout the entire series, and it's going to come down to execution. Are the Brewers going to be able to you know, put pitches where they want them, which they've been able to do for the most part all season? Uh, as far as their bullpen goes, and uh, you know, are the Dodger hitters going to be able to make adjustments? That's what this game's all about—a series of adjustments. And um, you know, it looked as though yesterday that the Dodgers were up there looking curveball, you know, off of Jeffress and Corey Knable, and then uh, the Brewer pitching staff started to make an adjustment, throwing more fastballs, and were able to get through the game. So, you know, that's basically the game in itself. I mean, constant adjustments. I know it's an old, stale term, but uh, you know, hitters are going to go up there looking for stuff and. Pitchers are going to have to figure out other ways to get him out. You mentioned Jeffress. He's been bad um, over the past, I think, two and two-thirds innings here in the playoffs. Is that somebody that Council will keep throwing out there? Does he keep trusting him? Well, I mean, you say bad. I mean, it, the, the hits that he's given up are ground balls. I mean, I, I know that in the uh, Colorado series, he gave up a couple of runs, you know, in the ninth inning. And, uh, you know, he got hurt by two ground balls that found holes that could have easily been double play balls. He's not exactly getting knocked around the ballpark too bad. Um, but, yeah, you know, he's the guy. And the Brewers have a number of guys that they have, they're have they comfortable in finishing games with. You know, Corey did it yesterday. Uh, you know, Jeffers has done it, you know, throughout the season. You got Josh Hader when he's going to be available. And I think when you talk about this Brewers bullpen, there's two guys that, you know, not many people are talking about. They're starting now. But uh, this kid, Brandon Woodruff. Uh, came in yesterday. Yeah, you know, he was great. Up Gio in the third and fourth inning. He's been like that. I mean, he has been, he's been money. And, and Corbin Burns. I mean, both of these guys are going to be in the starting rotation for the Brewers probably next year. And um, you know, Corbin Burns is not allowed to run in the postseason. These are young kids that uh, just don't seem to be too overwhelmed by any situation they're put into. So it's one of the reasons why the Brewers' bullpen has been so good. They have not only they have depth, but they have breadth. Different kind of guys coming in different pitches and right now they have 12 guys available um right now so and council said chassine was available yesterday out of the bullpen if needed right. hmm. he's uh he's game three starter so uh this this brewer pitching staff and the way craig council and david stearns have put it together and the way they've been using him is working every i mean i don't think everybody anybody thought it was sustainable but the way they've been able to do it so many guys being able to do so many different things out of that bullpen it has been sustainable and uh, it's going to be interesting to see, though, on uh, in L.A. when you have three consecutive games, the Brewers are going to have to um, get a long start in there. And by long, I'm talking five, six innings for the Brewers. Bill Schroeder, one of the voices of uh, Brewers Television, joining us for a few more minutes on Inside the Clubhouse. Bill, uh, Council is an, is an interesting guy. We know how smart he is. We know experience in the front office. We know he was a big-time player on championship teams. He brings an awful lot to the table, but I want you to kind of compare and contrast 
uh, how hard it is for him to manage compared to maybe Phil Garner 20 years ago when you know that uh, you're, you're going to have to orchestrate and yeah. and set up a, uh, a whole pitching you know group for an entire game from the third yeah. inning from the third inning on. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's analytics driven. I mean, I think every team is really heavy into the analytics, and you got guys crunching numbers, and you don't want starters going third time through the batting order. And it's not just the Brewers that are going through that. I think a lot of teams. Now, if you were to ask Craig Council, would you like to have a starting rotation? You know, like the Nationals, you know, like the Cubs have. Yeah, he'd say, yeah, sure. I'd like to have guys out there that can throw five, six, seven innings. But in, the reality of it is, is that they are very. You know, they have a dominant bullpen, and how do you get the most out of that? Okay, mm-hmm. so this year it's been analytics driven in that I don't want my starters going too deep. It was already determined that Gio Gonzalez was only going to go two innings yesterday. That that was a set plan, and Gio was told that before he took the mound. Um, he went out there. He gave the Brewers two innings. He gave up the one home run to Manny Machado. But then it's all about the bullpen, you know. So it's going to be the same today. Um, Phil Garner didn't have the luxury of having all the analytics that you have today. Although Phil was one of the forerunners in shifting. Um, yes, yes, uh, the he was. Brewers were one of the first teams to, you know, start the shifting. Of course, they didn't do it with every hitter like you know the Brewers and a lot of teams. You know, do now, but uh, it, it's much more analytics driven for Craig Council, and it's not just that. Craig Council has a great demeanor with these guys. Um, he hasn't been too far removed from his playing days, so he gets it. He understands how to deal with these guys and how to get to them and get the most out of them. And you know, not just you know the position players, but the pitchers are buying into the whole philosophy. You know, at the trading deadline, the Brewers collected a lot of these position players. Everybody wondering when they were going to get the big starter. That never really happened. They did pick up Gio um, right before September. But um, he's got the pitchers buying in. He's got the position players buying in, taking their turn to be in that starting lineup. And uh, that, that's that been the biggest challenge for Craig, trying to keep these guys all involved and keep them ready to go. You know, it, it, it's pretty rare to watch a guy like Christian Yelich be as good as he was in September with a – OPS over 1.3, but he had an OPS yeah. OPS over a thousand the month before that and the month yeah. before that. Yeah. And yeah. he's, he's not a launch angle guy. This is fascinating, no. Bill. Like he, yeah. He, yeah. he, he comes out strongly against launch angle. I think he, he said he's made a bunch of different adjustments, but launch angle is not one of them. He barrels no. the ball like crazy. It, 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 what is he doing? Do you, do you know yeah. what he's doing? If not that, well, well, he's been asked that over and over again. And right. He kind of just he doesn't like to talk about launch angle. And when you watch him swing, it's not about launch angle, which is why he's so good at driving the ball to the opposite field and hitting line drives in that direction. I mean, when you have the launch angle like that, you're not able to really drive the ball like 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 Yelich does to the opposite field. Brian Braun does the same thing. And I use Brewers examples, and there's examples all over baseball. But uh, these are the guys that I see every day. But he just says that he understands himself. He's uh, he's in a ballpark that um, allows you to be rewarded to hit the ball to the opposite field and drive it out of the ballpark. He really didn't have that luxury in Miami. You know that ballpark is huge. I mean, the gap to gaps. I mean, it's uh, impossible for a normal kind of guy to hit the ball out of the ballpark to the opposite field. Well, at Miller Park, Christian Yelich. He does that. He goes to left center, and he gets rewarded with home runs. And a lot of it has to do with the ballpark and the comfort of staying back, driving it the other way, and being rewarded where he was not um, rewarded in Miami. But it, it just comes down to a comfort level. He loves Milwaukee. 
I mean, we always reference that Players' Tribune article that he put together and just how the people in Milwaukee have taken to him, the organization, and uh, it's uh, it's gratifying. And, uh, we, you know, the Brewers are going to have the luxury of watching Christian Yelich for another four years at least because he's under contract yeah, for a it's, while. It's amazing. Bill, yeah. uh, when you look at um, the rivalry, uh, when Cole Hamels came out after being around the Cubs for about a month or so and said that, he doesn't really see a rivalry between the Cubs and the Brewers. Um, with the Brewers' success this year and the way they went into Wrigley and won mm-hmm. the division, uh, has has that changed? Uh, do you think there's there's a there's a lot more? Um, um, is it going to be more heated? Is it going to be harder for yeah. Cub fans to be able to get tickets at Miller Park from now on? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I know that the the, the big rivalry between the fan base. But, you know, if you want to talk rivalry, I mean, the Brewers have over the years been trying to catch the Cubs and and dethrone them for the division. They were able to do that this year. I mean, there's a lot of respect between these two teams. And the Brewers, until you, you know, beat the Cubs and you win the division, I mean, you know, it's been the Cubs division for a while now, right? I mean, um, I don't think there's fierce, intense rivalries amongst players like there was before. It's just a different culture in baseball right now, but... It, it is always going to be um, a fierce uh, rivalry amongst the fan base. And I would imagine that there's still going to be a lot of fans, uh, Cub fans at Miller Park, just like there are a lot of Brewer fans at, uh, at Wrigley Field. We love going there. I mean, the intensity there at Wrigley Field is, 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 is great to be involved in, even as we sit in the booth and watch the games. I mean, these fans want to beat each other pretty good. But, uh, you know, the Brewers are able to accomplish it. If a rivalry means that you, you, you want to beat your opponent really badly, yeah, the Brewers wanted to beat the Cubs pretty badly because they were the class of the division for many years. Yeah, I like, and, the, yeah. I like the fans uh, going after yeah. each other. Not not fighting, <laughs> but I like the well, idea the, that, uh, the, the, hey, yeah. uh not in our house. Hey, game, you know? game 163 was special in that regard. Yeah. I mean, like like yeah. the waves of energy floating from one fan base to the other was quite yeah. something. It was a unique situation because there were tickets made available for yep. that game that are not normally there. That was right, that was pretty exactly. and and the Brewer fans were smart enough yeah. to pick them up. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, we don't, you know, TV, we don't get to do the games when it gets to tiebreakers and it gets to the postseason. So in that uh, tiebreaker game, I was there um, working, did some postgame work for Fox Sports Wisconsin, and I was able to walk around the concourse. And it was great. Yep. I mean, it was intense. It was loud. The Brewers, let's go Brewers. It was, dance. yeah. Then you have the Cubs fans going crazy. I mean, that's what, they, that's what sports is all about. The last thing you want is apathy, right? I mean, nobody wants nobody to care about anything. And I think it's a great rivalry. I think it is a rivalry. I mean, Cole Hamels, I think, you know, sometimes players say things that, you know, maybe they don't mean or it's taken out of context. Who knows? But uh, it is certainly a rivalry between the Cubs and the Brewers, no doubt. Bill, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for joining uh, the show here during the season, and we always look forward to it. It always yeah. makes us a little bit smarter and more <laughs> in tune with what's going on. Have a great off well, season and good luck yeah. to the Brewers. I, you know, I'm from Chicago. We want the Chicago teams to win, but I am personally – Rooting for the Brewers to win a World well, Series. Well, we appreciate that. We kind of us, mid, us Midwesterners got to stick together. Absolutely, right? <laughs> absolutely. So uh, there you go. Anytime, guys. All right. Enjoy having that. Enjoy being on. All right, thanks, thanks. Bill. Bill Schroeder thanks. of Milwaukee Brewers Television joining us, and uh, yeah, it's you know I, I think that the rivalry has arrived. You know, I think it's there, and uh, just as the the game that we were talking about, Matt, that 
more than anything solidified it that the Brewer fans actually had an opportunity where that game uh, wasn't uh, automatic going to the season ticket holders. No. So season ticket holders had a buy just like anybody else for that game. And there were thousands of tickets that weren't picked up by season's ticket holders that were bought by Brewer fans. It was Sunday night at 7 o'clock. The tickets became available. And that, for the first time, felt like, oh, this is what Brewers fans feel like when Cub fans invade and get close to 30, 40% of Miller Park. It was a very strange sound in the ballpark. You normally only hear it when uh, the Cardinals are at their peak. uh, And you get 30% Cardinal fans for that first or second series in May or June uh, when a season starts. But this was this was something that was kind of numbing to a lot of Cub fans. I wanna, it, there, I'll want i give you some quotes from the best hitter in baseball over the last three months, Christian Yelich, uh, about launch angle. And I think it speaks directly to where the Cubs want to be as they try to do this thing down the middle, that kind of nuanced approach. So we'll talk about that, among other things, next on Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score. This hour on The Score is brought to you by Pearl Mortgage. Go to PERLDavid.com. Do you have a McCartney story you want to talk about uh, since it's uh, Wings? uh, It's uh, quite a beautiful, beautiful intro there to Band on the Run. Now I got another. McCartney's telling all the stories there are to tell. I know. He's out there. He's telling you everything, including stuff you never wanted to know. I know. Things you never wanted to hear. I know. Did you ever see the the, <laughs> the, 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 the internet thing with him and um, I forgot who the TV host James was. James Corden? Right. Phenomenal. That is excellent. It, that carpool karaoke thing that Corden does, but this one they go back to McCartney's childhood home. Like, oh yeah, the, there's the room we wrote Love Me Do in right there. And then the neighborhood, oh, oh Paul McCartney's uh, at his old home. Yep. You know, it's like. I thought it was terrific. Plays a bar gig for like 35 people. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Doesn't get, doesn't get any better. Meanwhile, back to baseball. Christian Yelich wants nothing to do with your launch angle conversation. He uh, it says, there's been no conscious change in my part. This is just from a few days ago. No buying into launch angle. I stuck with what I've been doing my entire career with a few adjustments. Focusing on launch angle was not one of them. There was some, but that wasn't one of them. Um, and he's been pushed in this direction for a couple years in Miami. Um, and here uh, in Miami, Barry Bonds is the one who, who helped him stay the course and not do that. Uh, Yelich says, everybody's starving for guys to say they wanted to fly ball all the time, but it's never once crossed my mind. I've never once gone up there thinking, let me roll this ball over and hit a 12 hopper. I'm not saying that either, but there's a way to have your misses give you a chance as opposed to having your misses give you no chance. My misses gave me no chance in divorcing. <laughs> I, I I like that. Your misses give you a chance when you're not thinking launch angle. When you are thinking launch angle, your misses are just strikeouts. Well, you know, he has a couple other things going for him. He's got a pretty good lineup around him. And he's playing in a much more favorable ballpark. Miller Park is a tremendous hitting park. I'm not taking anything away from the season he's had because he was an outstanding player when he played with the Marlins, but that's a cavernous place. Without a doubt. Yeah. But, but, but he himself, as a guy who barrels the ball constantly and did so at unbelievable rates the last three years, he, he, he says he has worked about, looked at the contact point, which is the, hitting the ball toward in front 
of the plate. So he's hitting it up the middle more. Um, but he says, take a snapshot of all the best hitters at contact. You see, they get to the same place. The difference is the mindset. Some guys tell themselves to swing up. Some guys tell themselves to swing down, but they all get, get to the same place. There is no one way to hit. There are guys who are all in on launch angle, have been successful. Guys who aren't, who are also successful. Both of us are right, but there is a way to meet in the middle. I'm trying to be in the middle. I, I think that's a great comment from him. I think that a lot of people can learn from that, Matt, the idea that um, there is no one way to hit. And I think when you start painting with a broad brush by wanting a hitting coach to instruct people to hit all the same way, and I'm not saying the Cubs do that or anybody else, but if if you have a philosophy of hitting – like Walt Riniak had, like, um, um, you know, Charlie Lau, Charlie Lau mentor, yeah. had. Um, that can be dangerous. It can take away from some players. It can add to others. Uh, I think we saw that with the White Sox for six or seven years while Walt was around, that guys like uh, Guillen and Cora, uh, the, the little line drive hitters, flourished under the one-handed uh, let the bat off. Let, let your top hand off the bat approach. Where uh, guys like Frank Thomas and Ventura, they still hit home runs, but I don't know if uh, that was impactful for them or not. It's really interesting uh, to me because there's so many success stories. Be it Justin Turner, another one for the Dodgers, Max Muncie. You know, guys just being taught launch angle, and all of a sudden they're 35, 40 homer guys, and they also strike out a ton. And Yelich is a success story without that. I bet Madden points to that and says, yeah. this is what I want. This is what I want. Well, you know what you want? You want the rare thing that's in baseball, and that is there's only a certain amount of players who are that talented, okay? There's, there's always going to be the upper 10% of baseball players who are that talented that can do all the things that Rizzo does, all the things that Bryant does, uh, all the things that Yelich does. Uh, you're not going to have that complete package with that many players. I mean, right. you can talk all day long about uh, who the best Cub player is. Is it Rizzo? Is it Bryant? But this year it was Javier Baez with a 300 on base percentage, you know, or 320 this year because he hit 293. Normally it's been 300. That's his career on base percentage, 308 or something like that. So can you have all of these aspects? Can you have that perfect player? Or uh, are there are these guys just unique like they've always been in the game? You only have X amount of superstars. Can Christian Yelich be the Cubs hitting coach next year? Says a texter at 67011. No, he's, he's not available. Uh, we're broadcasting from the Chicago Wolves Update Studio. The Chicago Wolves opened their 25th anniversary season on Saturday, October 13th at Allstate Arena with rolled back concession prices and free parking presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Kia dealers. Visit ChicagoWolves.com for tickets. Let's hit the phone lines, Matt. Let's go to Larry, who's in the car on I-88 and joins us now on 670 The Score. What do you say, Larry? Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Matt. Howdy. Listen, uh, I had read an article uh, ago about the popularity of baseball and how, you know, it's been dipping. And I, uh, I think part of it is due to the fact that, you know, the shift uh, is in place. I think the shift needs to be gone. It, it, it really, it, the action in the game is completely changed by the shift. Uh, you see less really great defense. And then, you know, that you 
tie that in with the launch angle, guys trying to hit over the shift, uh, you know, so mm-hmm. you get home run, strikeout, walk, and the game just is not that exciting uh, when you see that sort How of How about problem. a modification of a shift? Would you be accepting of that? You know, I, Bruce, I don't, I don't think so. I think what's really exciting about baseball is when the ball is in play. And, you, you know, guys making plays defensively. I mean, I remember when I was a kid watching, a, you know, a second baseman dive into, into you know, right field, making a great uh, dive and up and throw. Now, you know, with the shift, you know, I've seen Rizzo hit the ball in the, in the right field a thousand times. You know, the right. guy just planted there. It's like an easy ground ball out in the infield. It, it, it just ruins the excitement of the game. And, uh, I, and then you tie in launch angle, too. I mean, this is why guys are so into launch angle because, you know, you just hit it over the shift. Yeah. Yeah. Just hit it right over the top, and their bosses in the front office well, will tell Larry, them. Larry brings up a good point. I, I am hesitant to tell people that they shouldn't defend to the uh, most that they can. You know, I, I'm hesitant to say, uh, why shouldn't we – why shouldn't we prevent runs from scoring the best way we can by shifting? On the other hand, I agree with Larry's point that it's taken some of the natural hitting out of the game. Uh, a ball like Rizzo hits to right field that's a double or a uh, a single is now a ground out to right field. The problem is, Bruce, to me, is that baseball could um, correct itself if the hitters – started kind of collectively countering the shift by hitting into the spaces that are left. They're not that good. Well, not only are they not that good, but they're being told not to do that. They're they're being told literally, just keep doing what you do. You'll hit it over the top enough that it doesn't matter. So they stay committed to hitting directly into it. The hitters are, you don't get paid for becoming a guy who gets single after single after single to the opposite way. So this is why you end up having to think about, should baseball legislate to get more action in? Because guys are not going to hit away from the shift because they're they're not going to get paid if they do. But it creates a lot of... 30 home run, 80 RBI, 150 strikeout guys who, uh, you know, just don't provide the type of player that you want all all the way around. You don't. Prov- it's not the it's not the hitter that you really want. Well, who doesn't who doesn't want that? You have uh, well, so many front offices in baseball want eight of those guys. Let me you give just you, Let about. me give you an example. So. Schwarber had a higher uh, on base uh, slugging percentage than Rizzo did this year, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they had pretty much the same amount of home runs. Um, the on base percentage, I think, was higher for Rizzo. But for some reason, Rizzo drove in 40 more runs than Schwarber did. Okay. So. From from the perspective of adjustments, much better situational hitter, much right, more right. in control. So at what the I'm play. saying is, slugging is sure it's important, but so are base hits. I, but but are guys willing to do that and make the adjustments? You, or in, what you just you, said, are they you, good enough? You 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 gotta get base hits. Okay, the extra forty runs can be attributed to the fact that Rizzo gets more hits than Schwarber does. He probably hits uh, better with men in scoring position than Schwarber does. Also, Rizzo, it, Rizzo's a very rare 
um, hitter in terms of being able to give you a great at bat every time, even if it's a clutch situation. You know, people right. get, people get mad when you say good right. clutch hitter, or whatever. But like he gives you the well, a really good you, at bat no a, matter the situation. You have another another huge discrepancy between the two. One struck out 150 times. Mm-hmm. The other struck out 80 times. Yeah, it's a massive discrepancy. Yeah. So ball in play, yeah. okay? Please teach to put the ball in play. So, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on the launch angle, but you can go to the opposite field. Well, the, 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 the issue, the question is, will baseball correct itself? Right. Because the hitters will adjust and do it, or because all the front offices are telling them to go ahead and try to pull it and hit it out of the park, but, but, and they won't get paid. But, so then baseball, in terms of the commissioner, might have to legislate to correct itself because the game is in trouble in terms of the watchability. These guys are not Christian Yelich. They're not Rod Carew. They're not Tony Gwynn. Not all of them are proficient enough to hit well and hit it hard the opposite way. They're not that good, okay? Mm-hmm. It's... It's not just baseball now. There's been, you know, uh, 140 years of guys that aren't good enough to use the whole field and that were successful pulling or launching balls. You know, it's it just didn't begin now. It's just more of the vernacular. It's it's weird to think about baseball changing rules to make the game better because it feels sacrilegious. But right. remember, they've done it before with the raising, uh, the lowering of the mound in 1968. And other sports have done it all the time, be it the three-second rule in basketball, be I'm it the creation for, of the lane to keep centers out of the middle of the lane all I'm the time. all for a modification where there's a, a line where you can't play deeper than. So that, that's one modification you'd, you'd Modification consider. I would be good with. In I, other words, there's no short right fielder. You can go five feet beyond the, the mm-hmm. grass. You can bring all, as many players as you want over there. But if the guy hits a hard line drive – to right center, it's still going to be a base hit. How about the modification of fewer pitching changes, which more people in the game are in favor of than right. I ever would have expected? I, I'm not. I'm not into that. I mean, because then, then you're just you're hamstringing, you know, a particular strength or adding a particular weakness to a, a team. Uh, you know, e- each team's built differently. They're not built the same. So I, I'm not. I'm not into that. I'm not saying my theory is right. I'm just saying. There can be a modification of this where, as Larry pointed out, the game has become boring and predictable. You know, strike out, walk, home run. No action in the field the last three innings. Uh, that, that can put a lot of people to sleep or turn them to another sport or some other form of entertainment. Yeah, I think we're dealing with a reality here, as you say, Bruce, where the game has advanced to the point that the most efficient way to play it and win it mathematically is not the most compelling way to have it played and watch it. It's just not. Let's take a break. 670 The Score is what you're listening to. It is uh, Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. Steve Rosenblum will suck at the top of the hour. It's Inside the Clubhouse. I'm Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. Lots of great texts. 670 Bruce, folks uh, really interested in the conversation about the watchability of the game, whether you legislate against the shift, um, that kind of stuff. And we've got a, a guy who's an umpire, says he's, he's an umpire at, a, at, at the lower levels and high school in Little League and says, believe me, contact and putting the ball in play is not being taught or emphasized. He's seeing it down there even at that level. Not everybody can hit home runs, Matt. Not everybody can slug. But, I mean, you, you have the beauty 
once in a while of a Jose Altuve, a guy that can do everything. He's 5'5 and 160 pounds, and he can hit 30 home runs, and he can hit to all fields, and he can run the bases, and he can field at a uh, level of being a gold glover. Those are the guys I've always been attracted to are five-tool guys, beautiful, but I mean, complete uh, you know, players the, the, like the that. The amazing thing is you you don't have to – you don't have to teach launch angle to be a great player in the game. I mean, it's you don't you don't have to hit home runs to be a great player. Ben Zobris doesn't hit home runs. He's not a great player, but he he is the guy that you want to look at. And if if you're a an average player with average ability, you can you can have an approach like Ben Zobris. You can be intellectual in your at-bats. You can change from pitch to pitch about what you want to do in an in at-bat. You can see the wheel uh-huh. turning in his head about what is appropriate for me in this at-bat, for me with the count two and one, for me with the count one and two. Uh, those are all things that you see in an approach like a Ben Zobris. Now, but, you know, all these teams that are in the playoffs, and certainly the Cubs when they want it, it's about home runs. It's about powering the ball and just doing it enough and at the right time. It's just that it can be dangerous when you stop doing that or if opposing pitchers figure out a way to counter that, which they seem to have done. It's about home runs because that's what's being taught. It doesn't have to be that way. Well, there's a lot of I success. Mean, again, well. we, we spent two hours talking about launch angle. That's what's being taught. But Anthony Rizzo can beat you in a lot of ways besides just launching a ball. This is Terry in St. Charles on 670 The Score. What's up, Terry? How are you? Hey, guys. Bruce, your appointment radio, and Matt's good to hear you back on on Saturday morning. I appreciate that, dude. Thanks, man. Um, first of all, i got two comments I want to make. Um, first thing I want to mention is about Schwarber. Um, I understand what you're saying as far as Schwarber uh, not having uh, the best season this year. Um, you're comparing it to Rizzo which, and I'm a big Anthony Rizzo fan, but you have to admit that Rizzo has better people batting behind him, hence he gets better pitching. Uh, Schwarber has been in a position where he's had Addison Russell batting behind him, um, uh, Contreras batting behind him. Um, There's been weaker hitters behind him, and so you're asking him to swing at pitches that uh, might be pitchers' uh, pitches and not uh, a hitter's pitch, and not right. a pitch he can do anything. That's a good with. point. So yeah. I feel it's kind of unfair to judge Schwarber well, based on that. But you, but you earn your position in a lineup, don't you? Well, yeah, but, but and, and I'm I'm not a Madden uh, critic. However, I don't feel he's perfect, and I, I feel that Schwarber uh, has worked hard on his defense. I'm not saying he's a gold lover in left field, but I do think he's become adequate out there. Uh, he's got a better arm than most of the guys who've played left yeah, field. Yeah, he's improved much. greatly out there. Okay, um, so I'm not I'm not for uh, uh, giving up on Schwarber at this point. I think that uh, if you remember when he came up in 2015, where was he batting in the lineup? He was batting second, and what was he doing when he was batting second? He was killing the ball. Yeah. Okay, so that that's my first first point. My other point that I wanted to mention is that um, you're talking about Bryant, and I'm not trying to be a Bryant critic, but aside from his hitting being down this year, at the end of the season, I saw at least two places where his head was not in the game defensively, 
and he made the wrong throw. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those games, I believe, was close to the end where uh, it cost them uh, a run in the ball game. And with the way the Cubs were scoring, you can't afford to do that. So I'm I'm a bit disappointed with Bryant, and you you can uh, comment on that if you sure. would. Well, I pre- appreciate your call. Injury was certainly a factor on Bryant this year. Um, not making any excuses for him. I don't think he needs to. Uh, he's a terrific ball player. <clears throat> he hasn't been an RBI man for a couple of years. He wasn't last year. But you're talking about a, a guy that, and you know, certain elements. Uh, you have to look at. He was a 6.14 uh, WAR player in 2017. That's pretty good. I mean, that means that you're doing a lot of things very well to get to that number. Uh, you can you can like WAR number or not, but anybody who's a six a six player in WAR is doing a lot of things better than probably 95% of the rest. Chris Bryant is a terrific all-around player when healthy. Um, very smart, good, aggressive base runner. Very competent defensive player. I remember one of the plays he's talking about where he threw to the wrong base. That's a brain fart. Who knows if offensive struggles followed him out there or he just had a, a bad moment. But, you know, Bryant was brilliant in the first 38 games of the year before that injury. Yes, he was. He was he, on an MVP pace. I'm, the, he, his OPS was over 1,000 in that in those it first 38 games. Was it over 1,100? Yeah. I mean, just remarkable baseball that he was playing. And then he slid headfirst into first base and got hurt. And I have concerns about, you know, uh, the long-term effect of this injury because of how difficult it was for him and how many swing changes he tried to make in reaction to it the rest of the year. So I have concerns about that. But, you know, I, it's, it's, he, he's, he's not somebody I'm who told, I'm concerned about I'm, overall as a player. I'm told by people very close to him that uh, strengthening and rest is going to be the uh, – salvaging of the arm injury, which may or may not be a labrum injury, but that doesn't doesn't need a surgery to repair. Bruce, when, when Theo said that they need to start evaluating some of their players based on production and not based on talent, I thought that he was talking about Schwarber. Now, now, now Schwarber had, had a, pretty, a pretty decent year here with an 823 right. OPS and 26 homers. He did strike out 140 times. But, you know, it's, that, that's what he is. He's not a complete hitter. He's not the kind of complete offensive player that I believe they thought he could be to this point. So that's who, – who do you think well, that I he think meant? I think you throw Hap into that. You think he was talking about Hap You can throw bit? Contreras into that. I mean, he backed up significantly this year. Was it the message he was hearing from Chili Davis and the hitting instructing that we need a more level swing that – uh, was that the tip of the iceberg for Epstein and Hoyer that he went from a a guy that hit 21 home runs in five months to a guy that hit 11 in six months in 2018? Hmm. That uh, that the slug was not there for him, although he did hit more doubles, I think, than he did the previous year. Point is, is that um, I think it applies to more than just one player, not just Schwarber. Schwarber actually improved. He improved he in did. he improved in walks. He improved in um, on base percentage. He improved in um, um, batting average. If you like batting average, he improved quite a bit. Uh, but the 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 basic numbers, if you look at his at bats, his home runs, his RBIs, 
pretty much the same that they were in 2017. This is Brian in Peoria. Brian, you're last up on 670 The Score. What do you say, Brian? Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, just a, a passing thought. Maybe my brain is overthinking things, but maybe the Chili Davis firing had a little bit more with uh, not just hitting, but maybe the fact that maybe they know they're going to get Bryce Harper and that's not going to be such a good fit with Chili Davis. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Uh idea you got a guy that's going to strike out an awful lot hit a lot of home runs I think he walked 120 times Matt um and he had a he had a bad year for Harper but it ended up 35 100 uh on base percentage probably about 390 in that area uh this is a a dynamic player I don't know I don't know for sure if um if this is exactly what you as a Cub fan are looking for, but I can tell you that um, a guy like this is something, someone that the Cubs are certainly going to look at. What do, you, what do you think about Manny Machado as a guy that they're, what do you, what do you think of the likelihood knowing from your sources that they're going to go after Manny Machado? I, I would say they're more likely to go after Harper. More likely Left, to go after Harper Left-handed power, you know, a, a guy that if you do sign, then you have the luxury of shopping Schwarber mm-hmm. and Hap, not worrying about uh, where that power is going to come from, and maybe picking up some more, another middle infielder, maybe some more pitching along the way. Cubs are even money to sign Bryce Harper, far and away the favorite in that. And uh, some of that just for, like, the public hints, the dog named Wrigley and all the photos with Bryant, et cetera. Matt, we thank Joe Castiglione, the Red Sox voice on radio, Bill Schroeder, TV voice of the Brewers, for joining us. Zach Withers does a terrific job for us every week. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also on the website, writing Cubs and Sox at least three or four times a week during the offseason on 670 to the score. I look forward to seeing you and a great playoff series coming up on NLCS ALCS. See you next week. Zach Withers, thank you very much. Steve Rosenblum is next with some guy named me alongside. Keep it here on 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.